Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Good morning. It's good to be together in in one building again for one service. And I want to thank all those who have been laboring long to get this set up. I know some people were working as early as 8 o'clock this morning to to have all this set up, and we'll be laboring after the service to be taking it all down uh, to do it all again next week. Uh, So thank you for all those that were involved uh, in that. Uh, Children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church at this time. Uh, Teachers will meet you somewhere in the uh, lobby, and uh, we'll take you down the hall to your classroom. So uh, children, four to eight, dismissed for Children's Church. Uh, Well, today is Father's Day, as most of you know. Father's Day was officially recognized in this country in 1972 as a national holiday, so really not all that long ago, and actually 58 years after Mother's Day was established as a national holiday. But I'm curious, what comes to mind when you think of a father? What's the image that comes into your mind when you think of a father? Well, it's possible that you think of some kind of famous father, like Ward Cleaver, from the 1950s show, Leave it to Beaver. But of course, some of you are too young to remember that. Maybe you grew up in the 70s, and when you think of a father, you think of Mike Brady of the Brady Bunch, that guy right in the middle uh, there. Most of you probably have seen the Brady Bunch. Maybe not the old one, though. Um, Or maybe you're still too young to remember much of the Brady Bunch, and you think of the 80s. You grew up in the 80s, and you think of Heathcliff Huxtable, played by Bill Cosby, The Cosby Show. Uh, But perhaps you're still too young, And you think more of a modern family and Phil Dunphy. Uh, Some of you may not even know who that guy is, and that's okay. Uh, Some of you might think more of infamous fathers rather than famous fathers, like Al Bundy from Married with Children or Homer Simpson. But, you know, none of these characters are real fathers. And it's likely that the mental images and emotional sentiments that Father's Day evokes for you are based upon your experiences with real fathers. The fathers that you had, or the fathers that you have, or maybe even the fathers that you didn't have, or perhaps even the image that comes to your mind is the father that you are. And how does Father's Day make you feel? I mean, undoubtedly for some, Father's Day is going to be marked by warm affection and gratitude toward your earthly fathers who loved you well. But for others, it's going to be a day that's somewhat awkward because you're just not that close to your father. Or it's a day marked by disappointment because you never really knew your earthly father. You don't even know who he is. It could be a day marked by sorrow and grief because your father's passed on because he's sick and weak, or perhaps maybe he doesn't even know who you are today because of Alzheimer's disease. Or maybe it's a day marked by pain and resentment because of your memories of the emotional and or physical abuse you suffered at the hands of your earthly father. And perhaps the day is even marked by guilt as you as a father might take inventory of your relationship with your own children and are plagued and haunted by your failures. Well, maybe it's better that we just not talk about Father's Day with all these things. But we shouldn't do that. Because one of the most frequent and most important ways that God reveals himself to us in Scripture is as a father 
and us as his children. We have a father who is every bit as real as our earthly father, our heavenly father. But he's our father because he's adopted us. The heavenly father has adopted us. And that's really what I want to consider this morning, our adoption by the father. And there are a number of passages that speak of our adoption Uh, But we're going to open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 for our text this morning. That's what we're going to consider. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So as you find your place in your Bible, we haven't had an opportunity to stand for the reading of God's Word. So let's do that this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 this morning. When the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You can be seated. As we consider uh, this topic of adoption this morning, I want to consider the basis of our adoption, the privileges of our adoption, and the calling of our adoption. The basis, privileges, and calling, beginning then with the basis of our adoption. What is the basis of of our adoption. Well, some seem to assume that simply by virtue of being born, we have God as our Father, the universal fatherhood of God, as some like to talk about. But that's not actually the teaching of the Bible. The scriptures teach that we are born in sin and born sinful, so that we are actually born children of wrath rather than children of the kingdom, rather than children of light, that we belong to the dominion of darkness rather than to the kingdom of light. And we're actually born rebels and sworn enemies against God, hostile to him and opposed to him in our sinfulness. So the condition in which we're born is far from having God as our father, and it's actually worse than being orphans who belong to no one. Our our situation is worse than that. We are in bondage and slavery to our sin. And so the first thing that we have to reckon with is that the basis of our adoption is not anything in ourselves. There is no basis in ourselves for God to adopt us. As as if God finds us irresistibly cute and adorable and lovable. Like God looks into the neonatal unit and sees us and is drawn irresistibly by our purity and our innocence. In our born state, we're not pure. We're not innocent. In fact, pardon the graphic imagery here, but we're the spiritual equivalents of crack babies. We're the spiritual equivalents of crack babies who are born with twisted and polluted desires, radically corrupt, deeply flawed, and in need of extraordinary deliverance. That's how we're born. And to make matters worse, we are willing participants in the perpetuation of our sick condition. We embrace it, and we perpetuate it. And yet, read verse 4. God sent forth his son, Jesus. 
to redeem those who are enslaved and in bondage to that twisted, polluted condition in order that he might redeem us. So here's the basis of our adoption. It's the redeeming work of Jesus. Jesus has come to redeem us and reconcile us to God as our Father by taking our pollution and our corruption and our sin upon himself and dying for it on the cross. That's the basis of our adoption. And we need to understand clearly at this point, there is no other basis for our adoption other than faith in the redeeming work of Jesus. No one can have God as his or her father apart from bowing to Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is no other way. But there's an idea at this point that needs to be avoided because we can fall into thinking that the father is the angry, brooding, wrathful member of the Trinity. He only reluctantly accepts us after Jesus steps in and keeps him from destroying us like he really wants to do. We can fall into thinking of the Father that way. But that could not be further from the truth. You know, we don't tend to think of Jesus as angry and brooding and wrathful. And yet Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And listen carefully to what Galatians 4 says here. Verse 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. You know what that means? That means the Father set forth the Son to redeem you so that he might adopt you. So the case is not that God the Father reluctantly sets his affection upon you after Jesus dies for your sins. The biblical picture is Jesus has come and died for your sins because the Father has set his affection upon you from before the foundation of the world. And so the basis of our adoption is not simply the redeeming work of Jesus. It's the love of the Father. That's the basis of your adoption. The love of the Father who loved you from before the foundation of the world. Look at what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. He, and in context this refers to the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. him. Now listen, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus. Who did? The Father did. He, in love, predestined us for adoption. This is every bit as much the Father's idea and his plan as the one that Jesus executed perfectly. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. Your father loves you. I don't know what kind of a relationship that you had or that you have with your earthly father. But what I want to point you to on this Father's Day is to a father who's every bit as real as your earthly father and who loves you with a perfect love. If you're a Christian, you have a father to celebrate this morning. Your heavenly father. And you have a father to celebrate every morning, and every day. And if you're not a Christian, you can put your trust and hope in the redeeming life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and be reconciled to God and know him as your perfect, loving Father today. And I would encourage you and pray that you would do that if you're not a Christian this morning. Now, perhaps at this point, though, you're feeling like your experiences with your earthly father impair your ability to experience a relationship with your heavenly father, that you struggle with projecting the character of your earthly father 
onto God. And while that's a very real struggle, and there are very real obstacles that can come into that because of the character of your earthly father, you have to remember this. Life experiences are not ultimate or supreme. They're important, they're influential, but they are not ultimate or supreme. The word of God is supreme and ultimate. So it's possible that rather than thinking of God's fatherhood in terms of your experiences with your earthly fathers, you can allow scripture to reinterpret the way you think about what fatherhood means. I mean, after all, the fatherhood of God is not an anthropomorphism, meaning a way of understanding God in human terms, like when the scriptures talk about God having eyes or having hands or having feet. Those are anthropomorphism, using human images and projecting them onto God so we can understand. That's not what fatherhood is. Instead, fatherhood is a theomorphism. Fatherhood is inherent in God, who has eternally generated a son, and human fatherhood is designed to be a reflection of that fatherhood. And this is precisely why people who grow up with harsh or detached or abusive fathers instinctively sense that it's not supposed to be that way. That fathers are supposed to be loving and caring and gentle and kind. Because God the Father is the true father, and human fatherhood is to reflect that. And so it might be difficult for you, but it is possible through the work of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and by faith in God's word to deeply experience the perfect love of your heavenly father, even if you've lacked that love from your earthly father. Christian, you're a child of God, divinely adopted on the basis of the Father's love for you from before the foundation of the world, a love that was expressed through the Father sending his Son to redeem sinners, as undeserving as we are, so that for the purpose of being received in adoption as sons and daughters. That's what verse 5 says. The whole point was to be received in adoption as sons and daughters. But what does it mean to be adopted? And to answer that question, let's consider the privileges of our adoption. That's our second point, the privileges of our adoption. In Paul's day, there were different customs related to this process of adoption, whether one was thinking about Jewish forms or Greek or Roman kinds of practices. It's difficult to tell exactly which Paul has in mind here in the book of Galatians. But while it might be difficult to tell if he has Jewish practices, Roman practices, or Greek practices in mind, there were features that were common to all the practices. For example, much like today, when a person was adopted, he or she was brought in to a new family in a legally binding way. They bore the family name, and they entered into a new relationship with a new adoptive father. In addition to that, all the debts incurred in their former life canceled. Done, did not carry over into adoption. And in addition to those two things, the adoptive child was now an heir of the father's estate. And even if other children were adopted into the family or born into that family, it would not affect that adopted child's status as an heir. And actually, these kinds of things are reflected in our text in Galatians this morning. I want to point out four of these privileges for you in our text. First, we do have a new relationship of intimacy with our adoptive father. Listen to verse 6. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, perhaps some of you have have heard uh, this term, Abba. It's an Aramaic word, and perhaps you've read that it can be translated as daddy. Well, I'm, I'm not convinced that's the best translation, but it certainly is a term of endearment. But it's a term of endearment that reflects a deep intimacy and not so much reflective of infancy. So if we're thinking of daddy as baby talk, it's probably not the best way to understand it, but it is a term of endearment and intimacy. For example, a slave would never use this form of address for the master of the house. would never use this form of address. But you can. You can call God, Abba, Father, because you have an intimate relationship with him. Your children call me Mr. Allred, or they call me Pastor Brian. My kids never call me that, ever, because they have a relationship of intimacy with me. And that's what you have with your heavenly father who's adopted you, set his affection upon you. You can go to him and call him Abba, Father. And this leads to the second thing. We have access to our father. We have access to our Father because of this intimacy. Undoubtedly, some of you have seen this iconic photograph of President JFK in the Oval Office with his son. Now, here's one of the most powerful, influential figures in the world, doing his work dealing with missile crises and foreign threats, and you got this little kid running around in the Oval Office playing in the desk. Now, most of us, if we went to Washington, D.C., would not even be allowed near the Oval Office, regardless of how much we wanted it. And here you got this little kid roaming around. Why? Because he's the president's son, and he has privileged access to his father. But you realize you have more. You have more than that. You have free and constant access to the king of creation all the time. And you can know that he's never too busy to listen to you, and he's never too preoccupied with more important things. Whether you're coming to him with the most mundane and seemingly trivial needs and requests of your day, or whether you're crying out to him in trouble, your father hears you. So perhaps you find yourself in distress today. And if you're a parent, you know that you respond immediately when your children cry out to you in trouble or distress. How much more is that true of God? So when you find yourself in trouble, maybe even today, in distress, call out to him. You have access to him, and he will hear you. We also have the privilege of freedom. Look in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave. You're not a slave. You have freedom. You're a son. You're a daughter. Just as in Paul's day, all the debts incurred in your former life canceled. Your sins have been wiped away, and your father is never going to bring those to mind again. He's never going to treat you according to those sins. Jesus has died for those sins. He's redeemed redeemed you, and he has made you secure in your relationship with the father. He's made you secure in your relationship with your father. And yet, isn't it true that we sometimes fight against this notion that what's really happened 
is that we've been brought into God's foster care rather than actually being adopted by him. Now don't get me wrong, foster care is a wonderful thing, but it's not the same as adoption. A greater, deeper commitment is made in adoption. And the scriptures aren't teaching that we've been brought into God's foster care. They teach that we've been adopted as his children, yet we still struggle with the notion that that we're not really his children, that, that we still live and think like slaves, that our standing in our relationship with God is contingent upon our continued performance rather than contingent upon the grace of God and Jesus' performance and what he's already accomplished. Don't you still struggle with that? You still sometimes think like a slave rather than a son or daughter? Well, let me ask you these questions. You ever operate on the basis that God will incline himself more to your prayer because you haven't fallen into a particular pattern of sin lately? That's thinking like a slave, not a son, not a daughter. Or do you ever think that God won't bless your day because you really didn't have a sufficient quiet time in the morning? That's thinking and living like a slave. That God's favor and love and affection and blessing is still contingent upon your performance. But that's not how parenthood works. We sometimes think that God has put this list of rules on the refrigerator, and if we don't abide by them, we're out. Out of his favor, out of his graces, out of the house. But that's not true. You have the freedom as a Christian, from the performance treadmill. You're free from that. There's nothing you can do to detract from the depth of the Father's love, and there's nothing you can do to increase it because he loves you perfectly. He loves you just as he loves Jesus, his eternally begotten son. How do we know that? Listen to the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. This is his high priestly prayer. Verse 23 says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, now listen to this, and loved them even as you loved me. So the Father will cast you away when he's ready to cast Jesus away. That's never. Never. I have many pictures in my house and in my study And a lot of them are of my children. And there's nothing that my children could do to make me take those pictures down. And think about it like this. Your heavenly father has your picture in his house. The room he's preparing for you even now. And he's not going to take it down. He's got your name engraved on the palm of his hand. He's not brought you into his foster home. He's adopted you as his son, as his daughter, and he has signed those adoption papers with his blood. He's not going to erase it. You have freedom and security in that relationship. And this guarantees that we're heirs. If a son, if a daughter, then an heir. Just as in Paul's day, we are co-heirs with Jesus through adoption. What belongs to Christ belongs to you. Just as Jesus entered into glory, you have the hope of glory. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that everything in this life, before we come into the full possession of our inheritance, is going to be easy. Because another thing that we actually have is the Father's discipline. The Father disciplines those he loves. And it's not pleasant all the time. But we experience that. 
And as heirs of Jesus, we also share in his suffering. So life isn't going to be necessarily easy. It might be marked by suffering as we follow Jesus and inherit his sufferings before we enter into glory. In fact, suffering is part of the calling of our adoption. So let's consider that finally, the calling of our adoption. Nothing we can do can earn or maintain our status as adopted children. But being adopted into the family of God needs to make a difference in how we live. That we bear the family name well. And the fundamental calling of our, of our adoption is simply to live like we're his children. That's the fundamental calling of our adoption, to live like you're a child of God, to imitate him. This is what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Children imitate their parents. So if you're a child of God, imitate him as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So imitate God in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his truth, in his purity, in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, in his forgiveness. Imitate him in his forgiveness. Not much we need to do that because we've been brought into a family with brothers and sisters that we didn't choose for ourselves, just like our earthly family. And we need to learn to practice forgiving others as God has forgiven us. And by his grace, we'll even be able to forgive the sins and failures of our earthly fathers. You see, children will reflect the character of their earthly father. Even adopted children. Not, not reflect the physical characteristics, but will reflect the character and manners and spirit. And for children of God, we will increasingly reflect the character, manners, and spirit of our Heavenly Father. Adam, every once in a while, will come to me and say that my son said something, or more frequently, my son said something in a certain way that made him think about me. Because that, that's the way children are. It's not just a physical resemblance. It's a resemblance of character, of manners, and of spirit. So here's my question for you this morning. How is your life resembling the character and manners and spirit of your heavenly father? Are you resembling him in righteousness, in purity, in holiness, in grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness? Allow me to address you fathers for just a moment. It's connected to this. Your children are forming thoughts about God the Father by watching you. What are they learning? What conclusions are they drawing? Are they concluding that God the Father is detached, distant, absent, untrustworthy, cruel, harsh, impatient, and unloving because you are? Or are they learning that God the Father is warm and compassionate and understanding and gracious and loving and caring and patient to instruct and generous because you are. Well, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because the truth is there's no place in my life where I'm more aware of my sin and my failure than in my role as a husband and a father. My wife and my kids can testify that I'm sinful and I'm a failure. 
And so I need to confess those failures and repent of those sins. And if you're a father this morning, you might need to do that too. But isn't it great that God the Father is more than just a model for fatherhood? He's a redeemer for bad dads. You know, and and part of what's so precious about this is that we can acknowledge that and confess our failures and our sins and put our trust in the forgiving grace and mercy of God the Father through Jesus Christ, and that won't be lost on our children. In fact, perhaps the most important thing you can teach your children is that there is forgiving grace through Christ for our failures and for our sins, and we need them as dads, we need them as moms, we need them as as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need them as sons and daughters. We need that redeeming grace and forgiveness. And that's the good news. There is good news this morning for bad dads. And there's good news for you if you've had a bad dad or just an imperfect dad, or there's good news if you've lost your dad. God would be a perfect father to you this morning through faith in Jesus Christ who redeemed sinners, sinful men and women like you and me so that we might receive adoption as his sons and daughters. And so as you have opportunity today on this Father's Day, honor your fathers, honor your mother as we're commanded, but above all, rejoice in celebrate and worship your heavenly Father who has set his affection upon you from before the foundation of the world and strive to live like his children this week and always. Let's pray. Father, we confess that there's nothing in ourselves that has drawn you to us to adopt us as your children, but we thank you for setting your love and affection upon us for the redemptive work of Jesus. Help us to embrace the privileges that we have of intimacy and access and freedom and our inheritance. And help us to live like your children, imitating you this week by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.